for hanging in there with me. Uh, we're going to go to the Bible now. So let's please open up our Bibles to the first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, I'm going to read through to uh, verse 16. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, through to 16. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Verse 7, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. Verse 12, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Sheatiel, and Sheatiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob. Verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Amen. Thanks, Peter. I just wanted to make him read all his names out. Um, no, but thank you for seeing through that. Um, just a quick thing before I jump into my sermon. There's some books like this at the back. I think there's like four or five of them. Uh, these are free. Um, these are given to us from, oh, I forgot, uh, Bible Society, right? The, the company that now owns Kurong. Um, and because we're a church plant, uh, they want to support us with some products. Um, and so they supplied us with some of the ESV Bibles, um, the blue ones. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, that's also free. Um, you can grab one at the back. Um, it's completely yours. But also these books. And just grab a few. Um, please, there's some. Let's not leave any here. Um, grab some and just put it on your shelf and feel smart. Just because you have something there. Alrighty. Now let's jump into today's sermon. Um, we're starting a new series today. Um, oh, we're starting a series on Advent. Now I don't know about you, but um, as I prepared this sermon, I was like, wow, it's Christmas already. Right? In a handful of weeks, it's Christmas. Uh, we're going to wrap up the year. Um, we're going to celebrate Christmas. It's actually landing on a Sunday this year. And I don't know about you, but like, I feel like it's just crept up on me. Every year I feel like it creeps up on me. You, know, you go to the shops and you, you see the decorations, you pass homes and they've got, you know, Santa hanging off a balcony and you're like, wow, it's Christmas already. When, when did this come around? You know, every time Christmas comes, um, you know, we think of Christmas as the birth of Christ, which it is, um, but we tend to think of it as a beginning. It's a story of a start, 
right? Because it's a story of a birth. And even though Christmas is those things, um, it's also not. Because Christmas isn't just a time of beginnings, uh, it's really a time of endings. It's a time of fulfillment. It's a time when things close up. The things that we're waiting for are now answered. When we come to our passage, Matthew 1, I don't know if you noticed, but that's how Jesus is introduced. He's not introduced right at the start of the list of names, but in verse 2, it begins with Abraham, and it lists a whole list of names, and right at the end, we have Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one we end with. Here's a solution. If the life of Jesus was a movie, his birth isn't the start of the movie. You know, at the start of the movie, we're getting comfortable, we're putting our phones on silent, we're not really paying attention, that's the start. Maybe that's how we treat the birth of Jesus, which is why it creeps up on us, because we weren't really thinking about it. But the birth of Jesus isn't the start of the movie, it's really the, the end. It's the high point of the movie. That climactic moment when the, the, the music is building up, and we have all these questions, and we're not sure what's going to happen, and then Jesus is born. It's like, oh, it's that moment. It's the start of that high point, beginning with his birth, that leads to his, his life, his death, and then his resurrection. Right? That's what Christmas is. It's not the beginning. It's really the, the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. Right? That's what the birth of Jesus is. And that's in part why we're doing this Advent series. Right? So we would lead up to the birth of Christ. So it doesn't just creep up on us, but that we might anticipate it and expect it so that when we come to Christmas, we might be ready for it. Right? We might celebrate it for the amazing moment that it really is. Advent, if you don't know, uh, begins four Sundays before Christmas. But because this year Christmas is on a Sunday, we're starting quite early. We're starting here in November. And even in today's sermon, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to begin with Jesus. We're actually going to rewind. We're going to begin with Matthew 1, which takes us all the way back to the Old Testament. Takes us all the way back to Abraham, and it goes through these names so that we will then end with Jesus. And as we look at the way God has worked all the way through the Old Testament to lead to the finality, which is Jesus, uh, I want to encourage you with three truths. Three truths about how God works, right? God works through our silence, God works through our suffering, and that God works through our sin, right? They're the three points I want to make today. God works through our silence, our suffering, and our sin. So let's jump into the first one. God works through our silence. The verse we heard as uh, Peter introduced it, it's the first words of the New Testament. It's the first words of the first book of the New Testament, right? So I don't know about you, but if you have a Bible open and you turn to it, let me find it here. Yeah. I put a little yellow sticker in, but it's not helping. Wow. It's like this. It starts like this, right? You guys got phones, so you don't have this. It says this, New Testament, right? You turn the page, and there we are. We're Matthew, right? Matthew 1. Right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you turn back here, these are the last words of the last book of the Old Testament, right here. Right? And then you turn the page, New Testament. Right? Simple. I've got a question for you. How long do you think this one page is? You just turn it right. The Old Testament ends, turn a page, it says New Testament, we're straight into the New Testament. 
Would you say that one page is longer than this? I'm just going to grab a chunk of the New Testament. This is most of the New Testament. Would you say that one page is longer than... I can keep going, actually. It's like this. I feel bad doing this to the Bible. That's a trick question, right? You know the answer. The one page is longer than what I just grabbed. That one page is actually nearly as long as if we went to the Old Testament and went all the way back to King David, nearly that long. You see, that one page, it represents 400 years. It's 400 years of silence. It's 400 years where the people of God did not hear from him. It's 400 years where God didn't send a prophet to speak on his behalf. It's 400 years where, as far as the people were concerned, God was silent. God had abandoned them. That's what this one page is. It's kind of deceptively, deceivingly small. And the reason why they got to this place where they get 400 years of silence, we need to rewind a bit. Now in verse 1, it begins like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the genealogy in verse 2 to 17, it kind of goes from Abraham all the way down. But in verse 1, before he gets to the genealogy, he introduces two people specifically. It's David and then it's Abraham. And he says Jesus is their son. And it's important because David and Abraham uh, were not just giants of the faith in the Old Testament, but God had come to them and given them covenant promises. Now, he'd given covenant promises to a couple of other people, but David and Abraham, arguably the most famous. Now, the promise given to Abraham, we call this the Abrahamic covenant, we find it in Genesis 12. And God promises Abraham three things, a people, a place, a purpose. Right now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right? God's going to give him a great place. This is going to be God's place. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. This is the great people. Right? This is God's people. So a great place, great people. And he says, I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's their purpose. A people in a place living out God's purpose of being blessed and blessing other people. That's the promise God gives him. And as generations pass, if you know the Old Testament, we're looking at all these names that Matthew lists down. These are stories of people that we find in the Old Testament. And as time passes, when you get to the time of King David, it seems like these promises are going to be fulfilled. Because under the rule of King David, they are now a great people. It's not just the family of Abraham. It's now the whole tribe of Israel, they're called. And now, now, now they're living in this great place. It's the promised land. Right, they've, they've come to the place that God has prepared for them, a, a place of honey and milk, it says. And now they're living out the great purpose, it seems. They're blessed by God. They're rich and they're prosperous. Right, and they're actually blessing other people. Now God then makes another promise to David, right, that second person we see. And that promise is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We call this the Davidic covenant. And the promise that God gives to David is that he's going to send the promised perfect king. He's going to be a son of David, he's going to be a son of God, and he's going to reign forever. Right? That's the three things. He's a son of God, son of David, and he'll reign forever. Now, verse 12 here. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. Right? So this is a son of David. It's from his lineage, his descendant. And I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right, so he's going to be a king forever. 
And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Right, so he's a son of God. He's a son of David, son of God. He's going to reign forever. And when David and Bathsheba, they have their son Solomon, right, you might have heard of him. It seems like now everything's happening. It's all coming together. Solomon must be the one. Solomon's the wisest man on earth. And under the reign of Solomon, the people of Israel enjoy even more prosperity. Right? It's a time of peace and prosperity like they've never seen before. He's the son of David, right? because he's come from that, that lineage. He's the son of God in a way because God lovingly treats him lovingly. But the problem is, he doesn't live forever. In fact, he's not the perfect king because even under his reign, these promises seem to fall apart. Solomon turns to other gods and worships them. Things go downhill. As the next king rises up after Solomon, the people of Israel are split apart between the north and the south. They're no longer God's great people. Soon after, the people of God are in such sin and rebellion, God sends the Babylonians to overcome the people of God, and they are sent into exile. Now they're no longer God's people. They're no longer in God's place. And now they're not living out God's purpose. They're not blessed, and let alone can they bless anyone. King Solomon dies. The Old Testament ends. That's kind of how, where we find it when we hit the end of the Old Testament. The people are um, so distant from God and have lived in such sin uh, that God has punished them. And they don't have a king. They're not living in the promised land. Um, and then we have these 400 years of silence. This silence where the people cry out to God, but it seems like he's not listening to them. These people, where they have promises, even at the end of the Old Testament, of a coming Messiah, but, but there seems like no one's around. Right? They're not sure that God might have just given up on them because they've done so many bad things. And then we turn the page of 400 years of silence, and we come to Matthew. And in Matthew, we're reminded God is at work, even through the silence. Because even though it felt like God had abandoned them, he hadn't. Right? Even though it felt like God wasn't at work, he was, even though they couldn't see it. Even though it felt like God wasn't going to keep his promises, he does. And so when we come to Matthew 1.1, we read, it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here he is. Right, the king that they'd waited for, a son of God, right? because he's born of the Virgin Mary, empowered by the Spirit. He's a son of God, but he's also the son of David. It's from that lineage. He's the son of David. And he's going to be the king who will reign forever. He can because he has eternal life. Not only that, he's the son of Abraham. And so under the, the ruling of Jesus, he's going to bring his people it's God's great people coming together again, going to live in God's great place, which is now his kingdom, right? We talk about it in, in terms of heaven, and we're going to live out God's great purpose, because in Jesus, we're blessed, and we can bless others in the gospel. You see, this word, when we find in Matthew 1, it's a word of hope. It's a word of joy, because it reminds us that God did not give up on humanity, that's what Christmas reminds us. The birth of Jesus is proof that God is still at work, even when it feels like he isn't, even when we fail him, even when he feels far. God was so committed to his promise that he would send even his own son to make sure 
that we could be saved, that we could be forgiven, that we can all be brought together again. See, that's the first thing Christmas reminds us of. In the midst of the celebration and the music, as we think about the birth of Christ, it helps us to know that God is at work, no matter what it feels like. I don't know about you, I don't know if you feel like God is close. Sometimes we feel like God is far. It feels like God's not hearing our prayers. Maybe it feels like God has abandoned us. Maybe it feels like God is no longer at work. But what Christmas shows us is that God is. God is at work, and he's committed to his people. The second thing we find is that God works through our struggles. God works through our struggles. You know that list that I made uh, Peter read, which is very hard with all the names? Um, this is a genealogy, again, from Abraham all the down that he had a son, he had a son, he had a son, he had a son, da, 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 all the way to Jesus. And it's 42 generations there. And as you read it, it seems a little simple, right? Very matter-of-fact, straightforward, very undramatic. So undramatic, it might feel a bit boring. We're like, oh, oh just keep going. Like, it, it's so, so like, simple. But the reality is, that path to get from Abraham to Jesus was not simple at all. Behind every name that we just pass through very quickly is a full life. It's a person who lived with questions and doubts and struggles that were confronted them. Like if you read some of these names, they went through a lot of things. They went through a lot of pain and difficulty and uncertainty. It kind of reminds me of like our parents. When you look at their lives, you're like, oh, their lives seem so simple. Or your grandparents. But every once in a while, they might sit you down and be like, let me tell you what my life was like as a child. And they talk about, I don't know, the things that they had to eat and they didn't have money to buy things. How they walked five hours in the snow to get to school. I don't know if you heard that story. How they might have gone to war. And suddenly it's like they open up the, the door to show that their supposedly simple life wasn't that simple at all. And they actually went through so much. But if you just stop and listen, you will see how complex their lives were. And behind every name we find here, whether Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hezron, Ram, Nashon, the names we don't even know how to pronounce, they're full lives filled with ups and downs and difficulties. People struggled through barrenness. They went through war. Siblings would try to sell each other's siblings into slavery. Children tried to kill their own parents. People were receiving death threats from the king, had to run away from home. People lived under the rule of evil kings. They went through this and so much more. These are lives filled with struggles. I mean, Abraham, you know the story of Abraham? God had promised him those promises I talked about. You're going to become a great nation. And yet Abraham couldn't even have a child until he was 100 years old. You think about that. I don't know if you're you're married and you're trying to have a child, having a child is not always that easy. Struggling through infertility, trying to give birth but unable to do it, right? You're, you're passing the months, months become years. It's a big struggle. And Abraham endured that until he was 100 years old. You know, he doubted God when God promised him this. But this isn't the first time God promised him this. He doubted and he said, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, his wife, who is 90 years old, bear a child? 
right? It's kind of understandable that you question that. And that's what he struggled through. In the moment, imagine you're going through that. And yet, what Christmas allows us to do is to step back, to see it as simple as it is, as written in Matthew 1. Because in our perspective, our struggles feel so big, don't they? But when we take a step back and see our lives, maybe through God's perspective, as it's written in Matthew 1, it's quite straightforward. Abraham was taken care of. God made a way. All the problems, they did get solved. And all the things that seemed insurmountable were actually insignificant in the end. See, that's what Christmas reminds us of as we consider the path from Abraham all the way to Jesus and all the barriers that stood in in front of them, God overcame them all. Nothing can stop the will of God. God knows exactly what he's doing and everything that he has planned will happen exactly that way that he wants it to. The same mountain looks either insurmountable or insignificant depending on where you stand. Depending on which perspective you look at it from, from our perspective, we look up to our struggles and they seem so big, too high for me to overcome. We feel overwhelmed. But when God looks down on them, I don't know, it probably looks like a, a, a little rock. And I think what Christmas allows us to do again is to step back and see our lives through God's perspective. Our lives aren't that big, our problems aren't that hard. No, our lives kind of pass by quite quickly, and God's got it all under control. It's like a tapestry from the back, if you heard this analogy. We see the tapestry from the back where it's like a, a mess of, you know, know, string and yarn and colors that look all ugly, and they're clashing, and pieces of string are hanging out, just, just hanging there. Um, but from the front, where God sees it, where it's a beautiful picture. And God's planning it all out. So God shows us a God, uh, Christmas, sorry, shows us God works through our, um, the silence. He works through our struggles. And third, he works through our sins. And one of the most interesting things when we come to Matthew 1 is that there are women included in the genealogy. And there are five women included. Last year we looked at four. We actually did a series leading up to Christmas looking at the four. Um, there's five if you include Mary. And not only is it kind of fascinating that women are included, but each of these women uh, were very scandalous. Uh, I'm going to list who they are. We've got Tamar. Tamar was, uh, committed incest with her father-in-law, Judah. And so that's like, ooh, that's, that's sin, right? Okay, but she's included. We have Rahab. Rahab was uh, from the people of Jericho. Jericho was a city that God said um, Israel should destroy. And so she's living in um, the enemy, the the city of the enemies, Um, but she was also a prostitute. So out of the bad people, she's like the worst one, okay? That's Rahab. We have Ruth. Uh, She's a Moabitess. So she's of a group of people, not of the people of God, that the Jews would look down on. And some would argue that she seduced Boaz, right? But, you know, that's kind of unlikely, but there's Ruth. And then we have Bathsheba, and she's not even named. Um, she's referred to as, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's how she's referred to, the wife of Uriah. 
And if you don't know the story, um, Bathsheba was married and David, he um, invited her over, he slept with her, and then he committed murder and he killed Uriah. That's the short version. It's kind of worse than that. And there she is, the wife of Uriah. But she's included there. Not only are these women scandalous and sinful, but if you look through the list of the people, there's a list of all these men who are sinful as well. Right? David, again, committed adultery. Solomon had many wives and worshipped idols. We have evil kings like Jehoram. He murdered his brothers. We have Ahaz. He sacrificed children to the fire. I mean, you've got some really bad people in this list. And so the question is, why does God choose to bring forth the Savior of the world through people like this? Why does God choose to bring forth the Savior of the world through sinners like this? One, there's a few reasons, I'll list two. One is that it would foreshadow the scandal of Mary. Right? Just like these women had scandalous kind of situations in their lives, all of them, um, these were sexual scandals. Right? Tamar committed incest, Rahab was a prostitute, Ruth might have seduced Boaz, Bathsheba committed adultery, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she gave birth to Jesus, it was surrounded in scandal because she was a virgin. She was a virgin, but she got pregnant. Oh, you're lying. Right? As, if you, as if you got pregnant when you're a virgin. Right? There was a scandal. But the second reason is because God chose, to, God chose to bring the Savior through people like this to show that God works through brokenness. That God can not only forgive our sin, but then he could redeem our lives and still use it for good and still use it for godly purposes. Christmas reminds us that God works through our sin. If we would repent and return to Jesus, he will forgive us of all the scandalous things that we might have done, and then he will use us for his good purposes. Again, if you consider Rahab living in Jericho, a city so corrupt and filled with sin that God says, I'm going to demolish them and destroy them, and she's a prostitute of this horrible city, that somehow she would end up here in this passage. You see, Rahab is a, a proof of a person who feared and had faith in God. And if you read her story, she does some incredible things out of her faith in God. And so God forgives her of her sin. He brings her into his people. And then she becomes not just a forgiven person, but a redeemed person. And God uses her as an example three times in the New Testament as a positive example. Right? This prostitute from Jericho is redeemed in such a way she shows up three times in the New Testament as, look at Rahab, be like her. One of them is here in Matthew 1, and that she's used by God to bring forth the Savior of the world. Jesus came from broken people to show that Jesus came for broken people. He came for people like you and me. In our sin, in our failures, in our rebellion and our idolatry, Jesus came for you. That if we would repent, he would forgive us and he would redeem us. If Jesus came from a long list of holy people, righteous people who only did good things, then we might question whether Jesus really came to save people like us. But that's not where Jesus came from. 
He came from a lineage of sinful, scandalous, morally questionable people to show that no matter how far you feel from God, no matter how much wrong you think you've done, Christmas shows that he came for you and he can work through our sin. As I close, I just want to remind us what I've said. Christmas isn't just a a, a start. It's not a story of births and beginnings. It's a story of endings and fulfillments. The whole Old Testament has led up to Christ as that high point of the biblical story. And so not only should our hearts be ready when Christmas comes around and anticipate it, but even in the lead up to the birth of Christ, we should celebrate. But there's so much to be joyful for, even as we come to Matthew and this seemingly boring passage that leads up to Jesus Christ. And as we've gone to Matthew, I've said three things. And I just want to remind us what I've said. I said that God works through our silence. Even when God feels far, even in the 400 years of nothing, God was at work. He hadn't abandoned his people and he hasn't abandoned you. He's still at work, even though he feels far away. I said that God works through our struggles. Behind every name is a life full of troubles and difficulties. And yet it seems so simple from God's perspective because God has got it all under control. And no matter what we're going through, we can be assured that God's got it under control. Because we've seen it, Jesus Christ was born despite all the, the barriers in his way. And third, we know God works through our sin. No matter how broken we are, God can save us, forgive us, and he can redeem us. That's why Jesus was born from people such as this. Now as we close, I'm gonna, we're going to watch a five-minute song. Right? It's a video clip of um, Matthew 1 um, turned into a song. It's quite fascinating. And as we listen to this song, um, hopefully it will do two things for you, right? two things it did for me. Number one, um, I was just amazed that you could turn Matthew 1 into a song and make it beautiful. But as we're amazed that they could take Matthew 1 and make it beautiful, hopefully it will remind you that even passages like Matthew 1 are indeed beautiful. It's just that we don't see it that way. Right? All of scripture, scripture is God-breathed. That's the first thing. But second, that you would, as, as you listen to the song, I want to encourage you to, to remember that God is at work through it all. Right? That God is at work. Um, work through each person in their struggles, in their sin, right? in the silence, that God is at work through each name. And that you would feel how it builds up to Christ, who is the high point. Right? He's the ending right, of, of the whole story, right, and so we're going to see this, and then we're going to sing a song, praise him, we'll come up, and we'll sing a song. Who fathered Hezron, who fathered Abraham? 
Solid. 